Part of our tradition here uh, on Easter is to share, have testimonies from folks in our congregation who uh, just have had God working in their lives and doing exciting things. And so we want to continue that this morning. And I want to invite my friend Lynn Conway to come up. Lynn, would you come and share a little bit? Lynn and his wife Kathy have been with us for a year or so, a couple year, couple years, and shared with me recently God's been doing some exciting stuff for them. So welcome, Lynn. You go, buddy. Use this microphone right here, okay? Use a microphone. Come on. Oh, really? Yeah, come on. I know you are. That's okay. Okay. There you go. That works. Well, whatever. Uh, Glenn has graciously given me uh, five minutes to do a six-minute testimony. Take six. Anyways, uh, I've always been uh, intrigued at the simplicity of being a a pastor. Uh, A man who loves Jesus is speaking to a crowd who loves Jesus. I mean, it's wonderful. I think it's a a great thing and... uh, Throughout my years uh, of life and going in and out of churches and stuff, I've always uh, admired the pastors and and thought, what a wonderful vacation! What a wonderful job! What a wonder! What a wonderful calling! So, anyways, uh, for some history, I am a, a greatly. Uh, Gracious, and uh, I'm filled with gratitude in the grace of God to be a recovering alcoholic, which is a big part of my uh, testimony and, and Kathy and I's uh, walk in the consequences of, of that behavior and, uh, and the fall upward from that point. Uh, I wanted to keep it just, I want to give a brief history because uh, I'm going to do a testimony of what has happened to us since we've become a part of your congregation and and the prayers and everything we've received from people that know our, some of our circumstances and uh, the working of God. It's been just miraculous what has happened in these last two years. Four years ago, I was in a a motel in uh, Forest Grove dying of alcoholism. And my wife came and got me and took me to an emergency room, which took me to a detox. And then from there, I I went to a treatment center, uh, the Portland ARC, for men run by the Salvation Army. Uh, on the second, uh, second or third day there, I went into the chapel. And I sat in a pew, and on the right-hand wall, there was a tapestry of John 3.16. And I read that tapestry. And I was the only one in the chapel. And I swear that my best friend, Jesus Christ, came and sat down next to me. And at that point, 
he revealed to me that he was sitting there all the time. I just didn't see him. The enemy had put a veil over my head and the addiction, and, and I didn't see him and working. And he revealed his, his love and said, Hey, here you are. I've been here all the time. What are you doing? The only reason you're alive is because I've been with you this whole time. Well, it wasn't the first time. When I was 14 years old, I was taken to a a room with a bunch of Christians in the early 70s. And, you know, they all prayed on me and I could feel it, you know, I could feel something different. But I wasn't ready. There was too many things that I wanted to do. The me, me, me thing. And at 26, when my, my alcoholism first showed its ugly head, I went to a six-month inpatient treatment center. And I, I walked with God and, and talked and, and went to meetings and, and carried it everywhere for five years. And then... The enemy worked in there somehow again, and there's things that I hadn't given up. And I stumbled again. I fell again. And I, I continued on that path for, for four years. And then something happened, and I, I came back, and I went to church for ten years and raised my kids, and we all went to the Nazarene, and everything was great, and something happened again, and life and the enemy worked in there again made bad choices and I fell again to the point of death where God stepped in through my loving wife Kathy and uh, here I am here we are Uh, we came to this church our children had abandoned us, choices we had made. Uh, we were torn. We were ripped. We cried, prayed. We prayed with some of you that know us. We prayed in this community. Of people that love Jesus. And it works. It works. You know. There he was. You know. The same guy sitting to me there. Is now walking with me every day. And. You know. I'm out in the community. As Glenn so often says. We're a community. And every time I chance I get. I like to carry the message. and, And just give my effort. To carry on and then let God take it from there. And the same thing happened with this reconciliation of our family. You know, we'd thrash it around in our brains. Oh, if someone would have done this and someone did that and we're stuck in the past. You know, and we're trying to maneuver it in all our ways. And until I came to the point of just surrendering it all, man. Just like, 
giving it up. And just letting God do it. In this peace that I had never experienced, the Holy Spirit was on me. And it was like, wow. And this discernment came for the whole situation. It's like this picture opened up in front of me. And it was, it was easy. How easy could this be? Here he is. God and Jesus just opened up this thing and said, let me do it, man. Get out of the way. You're in the way with this situation. I was sitting in at lunch at work, or, well, not work, but at a restaurant by work, and uh, we had always put the daughter-in-law as the focal point. You know, we always triangulate. We always try to find something on the outside causing the grief on the inside, you know. And, uh, and I'm sitting there, and I said, you know what? Just call her up. Just call up your daughter-in-law and, and just make amends for just even your thoughts. You know, just, just the thoughts that go through your head that are negative. God is good. Think good things. So, I did it. A couple days later, my son calls me up. Emails me, you know, the new way of deal. Don't get a phone call, you get an email. Well, Dad, you know, this is good. Let's email back and forth. Oh, man. All right. Well, but it's a step, a good step, you know, positive step forward. Let's use this modern technology to reconcile the family without looking in his eyes. Tell them how much I love them, you know. So that went on for a few weeks, and then I was sitting in the doctor's office. I have a bunion, you know, it's it's like my sixth toe. <laughs> you know. I actually gotta cut my shoe for the thing to stick out. So I'm in there getting ready to go to this operation. To see if I get this operation, my son calls me up and says, Dad, I want to come and get you. Oh. It was wonderful, yeah. It was like nothing ever happened. God worked in his life and our life, and they go to church down the road there at the Christian Bible School Church up the hill there in Tigard, you know. And they're t- taking their children there. They're carrying it on, you know. They're carrying on. They're, they're giving that good stuff to God. They're carrying on the, with their children and, and moving it all forward like we're supposed to. And we, we go out, and my, he got a general contractor's license, so he says, Dad, I'd like you to come and help me build my business because that's what I, I did. I'm a, a builder, and a, I worked in construction for 35 years. So anyways, we, uh, 
We did, and we talked, and I just told him what the Holy Spirit told me to say. Because you've got to be careful, you know. Because you want to get your ego involved. You know, the I and the me's and da-da-da-da. And it wants to drag you backwards. and You know, and the, when you're going back, you know, old stuff smells, man. You know, it's just no goodness in it. You know, when you're dealing with these things. So, uh, you know, and I'm always praying, okay, keep me out of it. You run the show. Let me hear the calling. Let me hear the voice. You know, let, then, I'll, then I'll open my mouth, you know, the, the filer of everything. So then uh, I came to Glenn that after that meeting, and, and Brandon and I reconciled, and, and of course Kathy is, you know, involved, but like a good wife, she kind of stays on the periphery, you know, over here and listening and praying the whole time. What a prayer warrior my wife is, you know, it's just all these years, man, what a rock. And I tell you, and so uh, I come to Glenn, I said, hey, you know, this is happening. Uh, Kathy, uh, uh, we need to pray for Kathy, you know, and get her involved in this reconciliation and get the step, the the daughter-in-law involved and get everything going positively again. And the people are praying for us here, you know. I raise my hand, yeah, I need prayer. <laughs> Crying out in the community here individuals here helped us and prayed with us Glenn and uh, the stepdaughter calls that very day a little bit after the stepdaughter or I mean I mean it's not stepdaughter the my son's wife daughter-in-law calls and uh Says, hey, I want to have a meeting with Kathy. Oh. You know, this has been going on for years. All this negative stuff. We don't get to see our grandkids. We had not seen them for years. You know. We still haven't seen them. Because we've got to work on this before we get to see them. Make sure everything's okay. Take it one step at a time. So. But it's, I can see the progress. And when I'm with my son and things start creeping up and creeping in, God just leads the way. And I, and I just speak encouragement through the gospel and, and the word of God. And then it, it just eases everything. It eases all the, the tension you can feel building in the air. The negatives start to creep up, you know, in circumstances and business and circumstances in our life walk. Circumstances with the kids. And uh, we're on the path for reconciliation. And uh, God is good all the time. Amen. That's all I got, man. <laughs>
Thank you, Lynn. We will continue to pray with you guys. As God restores your family. Uh, man, wow. Uh, so on that note, we'll, uh, we've been talking about, uh, we did a, we've been doing a little uh, what, what Stephen deemed a priester series, pre-Easter. And um, the last few weeks have been talking about resurrection life in Christ and what that means to us. And that resurrection life in Christ isn't just something that happens when we die and go to heaven. That it really is a quality of life that we can live and walk in right now. And that's really, I think, what we just heard and what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. So today, of course, Easter Sunday is the day that we join with Christians uh, worldwide, historically, and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus is really a confirmation for us that he was and is everything that he says he was and that he did do everything that he said he would do. He really did defeat uh, sin and sickness and death and uh, brought us to a place where we could be restored and that relationships that were broken could be healed. Uh, This is important. It's important for a number of reasons. But one is because it affects our picture of God, how we see God. And how you see God really affects everything else. Your view of God impacts how you see yourself. It impacts how you see other people. It impacts how you view life in general. And so this morning, uh, you know, the kind of the Easter title this morning is, What Does Your God Look Like? I want to talk for a few minutes about what God looks like to you. In uh, last Sunday, we looked at the Gospel of John. And in the 14th chapter of John, the disciples are together with Jesus. This is sometime after the Last Supper. Uh, It's their last night together. They have been with Jesus now for three and a half years. Virtually daily. I'm sure there was some, maybe they took a day off or had time out, but for the better part of three and a half years, these men had been with Jesus and they'd seen him do miracles, seen him, uh, you know, multiply food a couple different times. They'd seen him walk on water, calm a storm, seen him heal numerous people on uh, three different occasions, saw him uh, bring a person back from the dead. They had been uh, up close and personal. They had been privy to conversations that other people didn't hear. You know, we, we see Jesus teaching in public. And if you read through the Gospels, you'll often see there's the disciples and then there's the crowd. And Jesus is speaking to the crowd, but the disciples are listening. And what we don't see are all those other times when maybe he was just together with them and talking with them. I would love to have... It's not all recorded, all those conversations, you know. What did Jesus say? But they were with him for a long time. They knew Jesus better than anyone. Uh, John's Gospel, as we said last week, has a little bit of a different perspective than the other three Gospels. And included in the Gospel of John is uh, between uh, chapter 14 and chapter 17, this conversation that he had with the disciples on that night, and it's not in any of the other gospel accounts, it's only in John. I would encourage you maybe, 
sometime later today or this week to go and just read that section from John 14 to 17. It's, it's pretty powerful, and it really is kind of one of those times when Jesus is speaking to them uh, that nobody else is really there and gets to hear in on. During that conversation, Jesus tells his disciples that he's, he's going to be leaving them. You know, he's told them this before. He's inferred it a couple of times and then kind of told them a little more clearly a couple of times. It's not what they want to hear. They don't like that news, and so they sort of ignore it when he tells them that. But he tells them again he's going to be leaving, and this is, this is disruptive to them. They don't like it. It's, it's frightening. They're a little bit afraid. Uh, they're confused. They don't get it. This is not what they thought was going to happen. He says, don't worry, don't worry. Where I'm going, I'm going to the Father, and where I'm going, there will be room for you guys. I've got a place for you. Don't worry. And now they're more confused because they follow him and they go, well, hey, wait a minute. If, if you leave, you're saying we can come where you are, but we won't know how to get there. We don't, we don't know how to get from here to there because you're there and we don't have GPS. They need some of that technology. Jesus replies back and says, no, look, I'm the way. I'll tell you, I'll make sure you get there. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one gets there. No one gets to the Father except with me. That's how you go. That, that's the way. Um, they're still a little confused. And it's at this point that Philip makes a comment that I kind of want us to, uh, to look at today. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. So Jesus is going to go to the Father. They're concerned. They, they want to get there. He says, I've got room for you. You'll go with me. And then Philip says, show us the Father. That's enough. And this is Jesus' response back. Remember, three and a half years every day. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So, one other thing that the resurrection confirms to us today is that Jesus is the perfect image of God. Jesus is the fullest, clearest, most complete representation of who God is that we have. He is saying He's God, and really His resurrection confirms that He was. So back to our title, what does your God look like? I think... um, If you take your image of God strictly from the Old Testament, you get an image of God that is pretty authoritarian, don't you? And um, it's a God who's fixated on a lot of rules. And it's a God who maybe is just a little bit angry. We see this sometimes. There are certain people who take their image of God from that sort of uh, image, the Old Testament, and you see them. And there, there are the folks that hold up signs and protest and say how much God hates you. And they, they, they have a picture of an of a authoritarian God who's fixated on rules and is maybe more than a little bit angry. Um, 
Maybe you're somebody who at, at some point in your life has thought about God, maybe even prayed or, 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 or sort of looked into me, figuring out who God was, but he seems so distant and so far away. Just there's God. He's out there, he's up there, he's somewhere, but he's, he's not close to me. I don't, he's, 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 he's way, way away. Um, one of the things, I've talked to a lot of people who, and let me see if, I'm not, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm, I guarantee some of you have, uh, have been there before, been here before. You think God's too busy for you. You know, I would pray and ask God for help and, and, and to, you know, be with me, but there's so many other people and they, their problems are so much worse than mine. And so I don't want to bother God today with my little problem when other people have bigger problems. He's a pretty busy guy. Um, so it, my point is simply this. The God that we see in Jesus is, is a, a lot different than any of those images of God. He really is a God of love. He, he, he loves me and you apart from our behavior. Do you know that? Even when I do really lame things, even in the midst of my most epic fail, God still loves me. I love that. We didn't sing it today, but I love that song we sing sometimes. I don't know the name. I never can connect the name with the song, but it says, my sin is great, his love is greater. He cares more about me than the rules. He cares more about you than the rules. And, he, and he's not too busy. He's not too busy. He's not far away. You know, in virtually every other religious system in the world, there is a certain criteria, a sort of process that you go through to get to where God is. But Jesus came to you. He came, he's the only representation of God that came to his people rather than expecting them to come to him. He meets us where we are, doesn't he, Lynn? He And I want to tell you this today. I, I just think this is specifically for some of you here. God's not mad at you. God's not mad at you. God's not mad at you at all. He is a God whose mercy triumphs over judgment. That really is the truth. He's a God who really will take us where we are today. He, he cleans us. He heals us. He gives us that quality of resurrection life in him. Um, what is God like? When we look at Jesus, what is God like? Well, uh, what, what Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And I, that, that's such an interesting image because it's, it's, it's honestly culturally irrelevant to us. How many of you have ever gone over to a friend's house for dinner and when you, they welcomed you in, they washed your feet? Yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, we, we don't really do that, do we? And it's hard to relate. What does that mean that Jesus washed their feet? Of course, we understand, culturally speaking, in that day, people wore sandals or were barefoot, and they walked on dirt roads. And so when you walked into somebody's house, your feet were dirty, right? And what that person would usually do, not themselves, but they would actually ask one of their servants to come, and you would sit down, and they would bring a bowl and a towel, and they would wash your feet. It was an act of service, an act of kindness. And so what's the equivalent to that today? I don't know. I read a few different 
things online this week. I, was, I just, I googled, what is the culturally equivalent to foot, foot washing? And the, you know, guess what the most common answer was, anybody? Cleaning your toilet was the most common answer. <laughs> Cleaning your toilet. But I thought serving food. I thought, you know, the culturally equivalent to me would be uh, somebody makes you dinner, uh, they clean your house, and they give you a back massage. You know, I just thought that would be uh, a real act of loving service. But that's what God does. He's, Jesus served his people. Romans tells us he prays for us all the time. He goes out of his way to care for those people that no one else wants to care for. Cares for the sick. And even lepers. And again, culturally, do we have leprosy today? No. Uh, What's the equivalent of that? I I thought about that. I thought the equivalent really is this. And, And some of you don't remember this. Some of you do. But I think it would be the equivalent of caring for someone that has AIDS back in the 80s. Now today, that disease doesn't have quite the same stigma that it once did. But if you recall, when it, when it first was discovered and became known, there was a lot of fear. And people were afraid to be around someone that had AIDS, afraid to touch them, afraid to go near them. And uh, so for Jesus to reach out and touch and love and care for lepers was, was really very similar to that. He cared for the lonely, the outcast. He cared for children and women who were both seen as lesser in his society. He cared for minorities. Jesus, uh, he, he loved refugees. Did you know that? He, he, he loved refugees. He didn't, um, you know, uh, protest against them. Uh, he loved them and welcomed them. He loved uh, <coughs> numerous times in Scripture, and I think he makes a point to uh, reach out to people called Samaritans and we don't understand that today because when we think of a Samaritan, culturally, we think of the good Samaritan. That was a good person. But a Samaritan was actually a hated person. They would be the culturally equivalent of someone from the Middle East today in our country. To say, I'm going to go welcome this person just because I know that other people don't welcome them. That's exactly what Jesus did. He, uh, as we sang this morning, uh, he endured the shame of the cross and the pain of the cross so that we could have uh, that kind of life in him. So, Jesus is the most complete picture of God we have. Uh, The writer of Hebrews tells us that again. He says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through through whom also He made the universe. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. What does God look like? He looks like Jesus. Um, this text, it's interesting, it doesn't give us, there's a nuance in the Greek there that isn't really come through, but what it really kind of says is, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, but what we saw through the prophets was a glimpse of what God looked like. It wasn't the full picture. So you think of that, and and really, if you read the Old Testament, you read Isaiah, you do. You see bits and pieces of what God is like, but you don't see the whole picture. You know what a glimpse is? A glimpse is like a sunbreak. Okay? I want you to know, for those of you that are not aware, 
That is a very northwest term. Uh, Never in the history of the world in California has there been a weather report that included the word sunbreaks. Uh, when I, we moved here, I, I heard that. On the, the guy says, in t- tomorrow, sunbreaks. And I'm like, what is a sunbreak? Well, it's when the clouds part and the sun comes out. You go, oh, and then it goes away again really quick, right? <laughs> That's it. That's all you get. Next month, we'll have another one. So what we see in the Old Testament are sunbreaks. They're these little glimpses, these images. We say, wow, that was beautiful. That was amazing. But it wasn't the whole picture. And then in Jesus, we really see the whole picture. That's the difference. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. That's what Jesus is in God. God, You know, we talk about unconditional love. Jesus represents the unconditional love of God to us. What does that mean to me? It means this. It doesn't matter about my past. It doesn't matter if if I've been a good person my whole life, my past was stellar, or if my past was something of a train wreck, that he still loves me anyway. It doesn't matter if I'm addicted or I'm sober. It doesn't matter if I'm gay or I'm straight. It matters that God loves me anyway. That's what matters, and that's what that says to me. It doesn't matter if you've had an abortion, if you've been through a divorce. It doesn't matter if you've had an affair God still loves you anyway. And why can we say that? We can say that because, I want to tell you this, it's not really about you. It's about Him. It's not about who you are. It's about who He is. It's about His ability to love me regardless of where I've been. Um, That's the reality of the God that we see in Jesus. And that's the essence of resurrected life. It's living in that realization. And that's the point at which we can then begin to be healed and move past Uh, those other things in our lives. Thank you. I'll just close with this real quick, and then I'll have the uh, worship team come back up. We're going to close with a little bit of worship today, and then um, just have a time for prayer. But, you know, it's been fun this weekend. I don't know about you, but uh, Instagram is my only uh, social media. I'm not on Facebook. Don't talk to me about that. Um, but I've loved seeing all the, the Good Friday posts and just, the, just thinking about this, uh, this weekend uh, in the life of Jesus and in our lives today. And so Friday, Jesus dies, right? Uh, scripture says the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head, and he had nowhere to lay his body either. There was a Pharisee actually named Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a wealthy man who believed in Jesus, and he had a, a private tomb. Only rich people had personal tombs. Jesus was crucified as a criminal, and criminals were buried in a mass grave. Just dumped. Joseph had a private tomb, and he said, we'll put Jesus in my tomb. And if you remember Nicodemus, uh, who was also one of the Pharisees, and the two of them came, and they retrieved Jesus' body, and they took it and laid it in Joseph's tomb. And before they did, uh, Mary... Uh, and the other gals prepared him uh, for burial. And then Joseph and Nicodemus actually, when they would bury a person, they would wrap grave clothes around them. They would wrap these cloths, this shroud around the body. And they did that, and they laid him in the tomb. And then, of course, so the last time uh, that Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene and, and Mary, Jesus' mother, saw Jesus, he was laying in the tomb wrapped in those grave clothes, And then on Easter Sunday morning, they, of course, go to the tomb. 
you know, the stone's gone, it's open, uh, Jesus isn't there, uh, they meet a guy, and then they, they think it's the gardener, and then they eventually figure out that it's actually Jesus, but he's not wearing the grave clothes anymore. Uh, which, in my mind, I wonder, what was he wearing? I, but that's, that's just how my brain works. But the point is simply this, that burial clothes are not appropriate for resurrected life. That um, burial clothes are appropriate for dead people, not for living people. And when we have life in Him, we can leave those things behind. And so my encouragement today is to whatever whatever's holding you back, uh, nothing is holding me back. We sang this morning, whatever's holding you back, whatever binds you up, whatever has kept you from Jesus, uh, it's time to take that off and let it go. So I want to ask you guys to stand with me and we're going to they're going to lead us in a song of worship and then we'll just take a, a minute or two and, and pray before we go.